The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, hello and thank you for watching. So what we just got then from, and it's good to have podcast mic back on the calls by the way, we've had uh, a string of times where Charlie and I were either in the same place or we were just in different locations and couldn't work to get podcast mic. Our wonderful erstwhile producer on the line for the calls. Uh, it's missed one of our favourite segments, which is what's podcast mic mm. wearing, but it's also missed the incredibly complex and different way we have to count down to start doing this show. You'd think there would be a uniform way of doing it, right? Just like... It's it's possibly the only thing that it needs to be. <laughs> there is no other factor in it other than its uniformity that is important. Whether it's one, two, three, and we go on three, do we go after three? It could be three, two, one. We could count down from ten. We could literally go two, four, six, eight, jump in, don't wait. As long as we did it, the entire... Like the same way each time. Yeah. But what I love about the great podcast, Mike, he's almost like in the movie Bull Durham. Yes. Where Kevin Costner's wise old baseball keepers trying to uh, get Tim Robbins, who's this like Nuke. hothead, Nuke. He's, unpredictable, he's you know, um, can throw a great fastball but has no accuracy. They call him Nuke. And he's got to get outside his mind yeah. when he's on the mound. Mm. And so what he does is he gets him to wear women's underwear underneath his baseball clothes so that he can get in touch with a different part of his psyche. I think that podcast Mike might be running a very similar scam on us. You think he's trying to like throw us at the start so we Yeah. So we, so he's sort of negging us in this in the same way that sort of Lorne Michaels apparently leaves auditionees waiting for a long time. So they get in kind of like a heightened anxious state. So uh, when they come into audition, he's like, okay, let's see what these people are really made of. It'd be great if we found out that podcast Mike under his mild and friendly exterior was some master Lord Michael stuff. He'd he'd like read everything he could about Lord Michaels. He's like, I am going to make Will and Charlie into Australia's Saturday Night Live if it kills me. He's been like listening to deep cut podcasts. He's trying to find out why Mark Marin and Lord Michaels have such a bad history. He's learning as much about Canada as he possibly can just to see if he can understand what the psyche is. So do Lord Michael. Michaels and I don't know what's the history between Lorne Michaels and, and Mark Maron. Is there bad blood? No. Was he on yeah, Saturday yeah, Night it's okay. Live? Or Listen to WTF. Mark Maron covers to. it. I don't like thirty or forty times. I really uh, look. I when <laughs> when it was first came out, I, I listened to it, but then I started going, God, I have to skip the first fifteen minutes. I just cannot bear this fucking like self-involved whining at the start. But I've dropped off the Mark Maron wagon a long time ago. Is it different? Has he changed? Has he mellowed? Well, as someone who's famous particularly on, like, I mean, philosophy wouldn't exist without WTF. They're different shows, but like one led to the possibility of the other. So I certainly loved his show and it was a great pleasure when Mark came on philosophy. That was one of our, you know, 
really great moments to pay tribute to somebody in the same way as Tofop was inspired a bit by what Kevin Smith and Scott Mosey were doing. Like, Philosophy certainly wouldn't exist without Mark's show. The 15 minutes at the top, as someone who rambles for 15 minutes at the top of my podcast, I always get a real insight into that moment where you're just like, oh, shit. If that annoys me, (laughs) then it's definitely going to be annoying other people and so i feel some sort of solidarity of like i can't skip by this even though i'm fine with people to skip by my whining i feel like i have to be like no 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 no. if i expect people to listen to my 15 minute preamble i have to listen to mark's 15 minute preamble i have the same like mentality going on with a book that i'm reading at the moment which i started off like really enjoying it but it's dense it's like you know six seven hundred pages it's it's all about the Manson murders, but from a different point of view, this idea that there's, you know, what we know about the Manson case is not what actually really happened. And mm-hmm. I'm sort of like, say, you know, five, maybe four, 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 five hundred pages into it, but I'm really not enjoying it. But I'm like... <laughs> I mean, also, the idea that you're four or five hundred pages into something and you're still not done with it yeah. is also... Yeah, that's <laughs> a, like, that is part of the problem, I think. But it's kind of like you in Smallville. Like, I feel like a duty to complete this. Like, I actually yeah. was reading it last night and because and I keep sort of putting it down and picking it up, I'm losing a thread of where it's going and it's a very kind of procedural book like he's referencing a lot of police reports and blah 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 and at one stage last night i was reading it and i'd read like five pages and i'm like a i cannot recall what i've just read b i have no idea we're in the jfk assassination now i don't know like how we arrived here and then i was like charlie just don't read it you don't have to read it but part of me there is a personal pride in the fact that it's like i've started this i need to finish it it won't matter to anyone else but if i if i don't if i'm not a completionist when it comes to this book, then somehow I'm, I'm selling myself short. I understand that, but also there is a point where you just like, you know what? There's a lot of books, mm. and this one, this one, this one hasn't got the job done in the just in a general sense. If I picked up something, how many pages do you think this book is? Ah, uh, it's a lot. It's it, it's 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 a, it's a thick book. I mean, I'm reading it. It's hard to judge it in thickness because I'm reading it on my Kindle, but the page count on the Kindle I think is around about 600 pages. What's it called? Uh, uh, Mayhem. Mayhem. Yeah. Right, okay. Mayhem. And is it a new book? Yeah, it came out a couple of years ago. Okay, let's uh, just... Uh, Mayhem by Sarah Pinborough? No. Does that sound right? No. Is it Mayhem or is it called mm. fucking Chaos? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hang on. I can't <laughs> so, remember the name of the book. So it's really, really grabbed your attention four or five hundred pages in. What does it? What is the word that it says at the top of those pages? <laughs> well, because it's in a Kindle. You don't get... The, it's not like I'm looking at the cover all the time. Okay. Mayhem. No. Murder and Mayhem? No. Okay. Mayhem. All right. Podcast Mike's getting involved, which I enjoy. Oh, yeah, point. there you so go. There's... What did he say? What did, what's it called? Chaos. Chaos. <laughs> is it called Chaos? Fuck <laughs> It's called Chaos. So, firstly, it's not called Mayhem. And that's the it's first time I've seen the author's name, too, in the little message window from Podcast Mike. Tom, o- <laughs> was it Tom O'Brien. That's it. That's Chaos, the truth behind the Manson murders. That's it. That's the one I'm reading. Okay. All right. Mayhem. Well, I'm gonna- I got confused. Manson, Mayhem. <laughs> 
Same thing. Look, I've been reading his book so long. I'm so exhausted. I couldn't even remember the title. Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the review of this book okay. by Peter Conrad in The Guardian. That's a good idea. Because gonna... I didn't actually pick it off reviews. I, I heard him being interviewed, the author, and I thought, oh, this guy sounds interesting. And that's what I downloaded it from. Okay. Well, here we go. This is from The Guardian, uh, Peter Conrad, on the 7th of July, 2019. In the fetid, druggy summer of 1969, Charles Manson, a hippie messiah who claimed to be the sport of Christ, Satan, and Hitler combined, <laughs> which is already awesome. Like, some people would just be like, you know what? It's enough to say that I'm the son of a Christ. But how about if I was also the son of Satan and, just to mix it up a little bit, the son of Hitler... All combined. I mean, how were they even combined? They're of different eras. That's amazing for Hitler, really. Hitler has been vaulted yeah. into like almost a level of deity or whatever the you know the the devil equivalent of deity is in a very short amount of time. Like the sixties is only what you know twenty something years after the end of the Second World War, and Hitler in twenty years has done what it took Jesus and Satan two thousand plus years to achieve. Well, but also. You know what I I think Hitler is such a subjective choice. It's such a Western yeah. view of like somebody who believes that you belongs at that right. level. Like this is your sort of yeah Kobe versus LeBron style debate where there be people like, but what about like Pol Pot, Stalin? Stalin killed more people than Hitler. Exactly right. I mean, you've just got to go to the scorecard. Maybe you do it in the same flamboyant style, but then you can't <laughs> argue with the scoreboard. Uh, all right, Christ, Satan, and Hitler combined which, I, I, again, I don't even understand how technically that works. Is there some way that you could combine all those, like, sperms into one, like, father sperm? Well, one wasn't a, one wasn't a sperm. Well, two weren't even sperms. One was an immaculate conception. So there's no biological process. Yeah, but does that, does that mean that Jesus didn't have sperm? Uh, no, Jesus was – no, but Jesus was – he was a man, so he had sperm. The way – but – but yeah. it's not like there was no biological um, – uh, it wasn't like, you know, uh, from human DNA that Jesus – well, that actually, it's a good point. Immaculate conception. I just assume God waved his hand over Mary's belly and she was pregnant. Mm. Like suddenly there's like a fetus inside her. But he is a man, so there must be sperm from – well, how about this? God – Well, I'm not saying that there has to be sperm from God, but what I'm saying is that – like, would Jesus, if he's made man on earth, like he can die by manly means. They don't have to kill him with some yeah. super Jesus ray or whatever. Like he just gets nailed to yeah. the cross. Just, just a, you, you go to Bunnings like, and kill Jesus. It's really easy. <laughs> so he's given, I assume, like that Jesus went to the toilet yep. and Jesus, like, because otherwise he is godly anyway. Like, if you are a human being informed, but you're not, like, going to the toilet mm. or if you're not, like, have the capacity to vomit or to bleed or these sort of things, then you are super worldly anyway. So the idea is he becomes man, he understands the pain of man. That means that he probably was also able to procreate himself, that he yeah. would have had, Well, like, there is a, a school of thought sperm. that there are descendants of Jesus. Like, we don't hear about it in the Bible, yeah. but there is court, well, Charles, Charles Manson. Manson. Yeah, For he's, one. The, uh, he's the last, <laughs> last Zion. <laughs> Satan, however, yeah. I mean, well, I guess historically there's been spawn of Satan. That makes sense. Like, that is a phrase that you hear. Yeah, but I think that's speaking more figuratively, isn't it? Because he is not a human. He was an angel, a fallen angel, no. cast into hell for questioning God. So he's not like he has – I mean, he might not have testicles or a penis even. I mean, they don't need him. Angels don't need genitalia. 
but the spawn of Satan would be someone who's been influenced. So you could say that oh. you could say that Manson is the spawn of Satan in the sense that he is a you know he's, he follows the same credo. Yeah, but I I feel like he's claiming it in the way that he's literally the spawn of them. Yeah. I don't think he's saying this is like a figurative spawning. But anyway, whatever. This is the first paragraph. And then, we'll get there. Then you bring Adolf into the mix. It's the weirdest orgy you've ever been to. Uh, dispatched these besotted apostles on killing sprees throughout Los Angeles. Yep. We all know that. For starters, they obscenely butchered Sharon Tate, then pregnant with Roman Polanski's child, and a smattering of her friends. The next night, the gang slaughtered a suburban grocer and his wife, leaving a devilish-looking pitchfork stuck in a man's chest. Now, here's what I love about Peter Conrad. This is the dude who gets to the point. No 400, 500 pages for Peter Conrad. Mm. We're two paragraphs in, and he's giving you basically a summary of everything we know up till now. Um other corpses were disposed of in Death Valley or on the movie ranch where Quentin Tarantino sets his new film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which ends with the Manson Rampage. The killers, also cosily known as the family, apparently chose their victims at random and didn't bother rob the properties they invaded. Mm. These were motiveless murders, a ritualized manifestation of evil. Or so we thought until Tom O'Neill began asking inconvenient questions. Yes. O'Neill's investigation started 20 years ago with a commission. No wonder this is fucking 500 pages long. Mm. He's been working on it for 20 years. He's not leaving shit out. In Tom's defense, like in the prologue, he's like, this has been an obsession of mine. I might be losing my mind. Because it started off as he was going to write like, not a fluff piece, but it was for Premiere magazine, you know, the, the movie magazine. He was going to write a 30 anniversary feature on the Manson murders. And then- Started 20 years ago with a commission from a movie oh, magazine and then continued ever since. Although he never managed to write the magazine article, his research monomaniacally took over his life. Deadlines were indefinitely extended and publishers eventually re- uh, demanded their money back or lost their nerve when confronted by his scandalous findings. This book is only an interim report on a sticky network of lies by the LAPD, the FBI, the CIA, which joined forces in an effort to muddy the truth about Manson's crimes. Fuck, now I want to read the book. <laughs> it is so dense, though. Like, everything you said, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But... I couldn't give you specific details on how any of those cops or, you know, uh, 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 the FBI, the CIA have actually specifically muddied. I know there's a, there's a, the chapter I'm in at the moment is all about MK Ultra, you know, the, that program in the 50s where they were uh, experimenting with hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic drugs and mind control. Yep. Okay. There's a bit of a summary in the next paragraph. Okay, great. O'Neill first accuses the prosecutor, Vince. Bugliosi of tampering with witnesses. Bugliosi, who turned his courtroom assault on Manson into a lucrative book, retaliates by threatening to sue the virtually penniless O'Neill for $100 million and smearing him as a gay pedophile. (laughs) I missed that bit. I don't remember that bit in the book. Oh my God, I'm going to sue you for $100 million and tell everyone you're a gay pedophile. (laughs) The worst kind of pedophile. Uh, the next teasing trail of evidence persuades O'Neill that FBI agents colluded with the district attorney, presumably because J. Edgar Hoover's bureau saw Manson and his gaggle of sex slaves as countercultural brutes who deserved to be exterminated. The CIA becomes involved when O'Neill starts to wonder why Manson's parole officers were so lax in mm. the years before 1969, allowing him to decamp to San Francisco. It turns out while living in the psychedelic gulch of Haight-Asbury, Manson may have been used as a guinea pig or lab rat 
by a bent doctor who recommended LSD to the government as a means of mind control that could penetrate the heads of informants mm. or prepare so-called Manchurian candidates for service abroad as spies or assassins. Mm. Back in Los Angeles, did Manson employ the same methods to program his murderous surrogates? Yeah. So that is the uh, yeah that is the premise posed by the book, but it takes right. a, a, like there's a lot of kind of information to get to that point because he literally sort of traces the entire history of that drug program and there's really bizarre things too about Manson where he was uh, like they knew that he was being monitored by the FBI and the CIA way before the Sharon Tate murders like they knew that there was a cult out there that had been stockpiling weapons and stuff but. I think what Tom O'Neill is asserting in this book is that because they were, they had relationships with Manson, like Manson used to go, and Hate Ashbury used to go to a CIA front clinic and get hallucinogens given to him and like go through these kind of mind control programs. Uh, so JFK, oh, no unified theory, field theory of malfeasance. Malf- malfeasance? Malfeasance. Malfeasance I, malfeasance, I think. No unified theory of malfeasance would be complete without a link to the JFK assassination and the ensuing cover-up. O'Neill supplies one, and to me, it seems only too plausible. Inevitably, there are contemporary resonances. Manson emerged from the divided, disorderly America of Lyndon Johnson, a neurotic president who, like the current incumbent, declared war on his own insurgent society and blamed foreign infiltrators for mobilizing resistance to him. What shocks O'Neill is the many ways our government has deceived us in the half century since the Manson killings. We've become inured on both sides of the Atlantic to such official mendacity. Okay, this is actually... I'm in. I'm in. I want to know how it turns out. You read the rest of it and you check back to us and you tell us how it all works out. I'm worried that I won't be able to, Will. That's the problem. Like I said, I'm two-thirds of the way through this book and I'm, it's so like densely packed with information. I don't know that I've taken that much in. And it comes off the back of me. Um, uh, you know, We'll talk about this more in our other podcast, Two Guys, One Cup. But I, I very quickly turned the football off on Saturday night and I was like, okay, well, the kids are asleep. I've got in the house to myself – I can watch anything. I literally have the world's entertainment at my fingertips. What do I want to watch? And I could not find anything. And then when I did start finding stuff to watch, I couldn't concentrate. Like I think my attention span, the internet has ruined my my attention span. I I started watching a bit of the new Alan Partridge and then I was like, oh yeah, I got like 15 minutes in that. I'm like, yeah, this is funny. but uh." And then I went over and I watched a bit of the new Star Wars thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really into this. And then I was like, should I just go back and watch stuff that I know I've watched before and enjoyed? Because that's the other thing about, you know, when you're a parent, you've got these limited windows. You're like, I want maximum enjoyment out of my viewing. I don't want to invest in the mayor of whatever everyone's talking about, that Kate Winslet show, and then be like, oh, God damn it. Like, I gave that an hour and I'm not into it. Maybe I'll just watch a, an old episode of something that I love or, you know, I'll go back and watch an old movie. In the end, paralyzed by choice, I watched nothing. So my team got thumped. I didn't watch anything. I went to bed very angry and then read a book that had me baffled because I couldn't concentrate. I stuck with the other night. So there's a Eric Banner Australian film called The Dry. The Dry. Are you familiar? Have you seen the movie? I haven't seen it yet, no. Okay, so it's got great reviews and I really like Eric Banner and it's got a whole bunch of actors that I think are good in it. And I'm I'm not here to say that it's not a good movie. Like, I, I hope people see it and support Australian cinema and I certainly don't want to shit on it in any way. But um, the person I was watching it with is not a huge patriot, mm-hmm. is what I would say, particularly when it comes to Australian film. And, you know, sees a lot of cliches in Australian film that, you know, 
get pointed out. And so it's a it's a slowly unfolding, you know, sort of mystery, murder mystery, like, you know, sort of a bit of a whodunit. There's like clearly some sort of twist behind, you know, the secret that everybody in the town has been grappling with. But it unfolds remarkably slowly. Right. And so I had to do a lot of work kind of going, no, 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 no. To keep her like, engaged. It's getting better. It's definitely getting better. You know, we're getting like, look, you can see now, oh, there's this mystery and that's this is this and I'm really trying my best. And then I literally woke up from being asleep as they revealed who did it. And I was like, oh, I've missed like half an hour. <laughs> I mean, there is something to that, though. There are some shows that Jim and I have tried to watch that are so good at going to sleep, too. Like, even towards the end of WandaVision, it's like, once the sort of big reveal was, and it just turned into another Marvel movie, I'm like, well, this is nice. We've got the, we've got the heater on, it's cold outside, we're just going to put TV on and just go to sleep. And I was one of those people, too, who's like, you know, my, I'm going to keep my brain clear, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, pollute it with anything before I go to sleep. You know, I don't want my brain being active before I go to bed. But I've downloaded like the Calm app. I'm listening to nighttime stories. I'm doing anything, but I feel I feel like my my brain has shrunk, <laughs> like my capacity to concentrate on things and to and to stay engaged. Like I don't know how I get that back, or is it a product of just being an old man? Because that's the other thing. Is I think about you know my older siblings and what my dad was like, and as you get older, you tend to just sort of hone in on the things that you like. You start listening to those same albums you listen to when you're a teenager, you go to the same places to eat, you know, you, you sort of start sticking to these very kind of narrow routines. Like I'm very envious of people who are like, man, I've just got to change things up. I'm going to learn Japanese or, you know, I'm going to do this or I'm going to teach myself how to make furniture. Like I have those ambitions. I admire people who do that, but then I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> seems, seems too hard. I don't have the time to do the shit that I've already agreed to do. Like the idea that I somehow will, like that was the real thing that the pandemic has taught me, which is it took me nine months of doing nothing to complete about half the things on my to-do list. Yeah. The rest of the things on that to-do list are now a never-to-get-done list. That's actually what it is. I've written off in my mind the idea that those things will ever happen because if in nine months of having nothing else to do, I still couldn't get to those things, those things are never being got to. Well, the thing is, if I'm not like doing paid work, like if I'm not working on something where I'm making money, then I'm working on something that I'm hoping will lead to paid work. You know, I have my other little projects going on or we do this podcast or we do one of our you know, a thousand other podcasts or... I, I like that the podcasts are separate to things that make money or things that will potentially make money. You yeah. felt that it was necessary to have a third subcategory. Third you couldn't put this in the category of things that potentially at some stage will make money. Literally a separate category. Uh, but if I'm not working on any of those things and now being a homeowner, the new equation is, well, I have to do work around the house. So like today I put Iona into daycare I had some stuff that I needed to do in the morning and then I was like, well, I have three hours before I have to get back to work. And rather than, okay, this is where I'm going to meditate or this is when I'm going to learn Japanese or this is when I'm going to carve furniture, I just started doing work around the house. I had to like, you know, I've got to get the deck oiled. I've got to dig out the corner of the house and waterproof it. And it's like, so this is it now, right? This is, this is where I am. <laughs> this is what I do. I think you've got to find a way to make that meditative and i think that you can like i find working in the garden or like cleaning shit out of the pool or mowing the lawns or like just working on some project where i almost once i've worked out how to do it 
I can disengage my, you know, active intellect from it. Do you yeah. mean like I don't need to be constantly working out? Like I am going to dig up this stump. I've decided that I'm going to use this wheelbarrow and this like, you know, rake and this like pitchfork and whatever. These are my tools. Now I my brain can kind of think about other things and you can mm. just like concentrate on the process. You just have to like – all those chores that you have to do, you have to turn them into being meditative. Well, when I was digging out the side of the house this morning, and it's a real pain in the ass because the corner of my house sort of backs up against this rock embankment and I'm trying to dig, a la- dig out like tons of gravel because I'm trying to clear out the, the wall of my house so I can expose it so I can waterproof it. But it's taking forever because it's tight space to work in. There's potentially a fucking python <laughs> that lives in the rocks. So I'm keeping an eye out for fucking snakes. Uh, and I, as I was working, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is backbreaking work. Like, this is real physical labor. And then I was like, isn't it funny that, you know, we live in these modern times where we got to a point in civilization where we're like, you know what, we'll leave the labor to the physical labor to a few and we'll start working in offices and stuff and we won't tax ourselves physically, but we want to stay fit so we'll create gyms and we'll go and we'll work in gyms and we'll lift things and run and do all these kind of things that we tried to get away from by working in offices and then I was like could you do like a Rocky 4 training regime you know in Rocky 4 how Ivan Drago's in the high tech Russian lab you know getting injected with steroids and you know fighting computers and whatever but then Rocky's in the snow and he's lifting logs and chopping wood and and I was as I was digging out the gravel I'm like what if I made this my workout? What if I stopped going to the gym and I just go from dad bod to farmer bod? Because you know how like well, farmers- I'll go, I'll go a, step, a step further. I'll give you a real life example. This is less Rocky 4 and more Rocky 40 or 400, <laughs> depending on how you want to rate it. But that's basically me now. Yeah. So exercise wise, I am getting as many steps in a day uh, as I used to when I would go for a walk. I get those steps in now, just like doing things, going collecting firewood, like, you know, digging a hole, you know, putting stuff on the burn pile, whatever it is that I'm doing physically outside. I'm getting the exact same amount of exercise I used to get, but I'm getting more of like an all over body thing. And I just do it to break up because I'm sitting in front of my computer or like working on things. I'll just do that for like an hour. Then I'll go and like weed or whatever it is for like half an hour. And I find that to be, it is a workout. Like Mm. as in like, I feel like I'm as fit, now and my body's working as well now as it has been for the last five years but i reckon this is something we can market well i'm saying like oh you're saying let's turn into it into something. something like in the in the same way hipsters yeah. are like you know man we're gonna we don't use gps we buy paper maps and you know we're gonna do things the old-fashioned way i'm like forget gyms let's get back to working on the land to get fitness you know we're gonna design a whole program for you because as i was like shoveling the gravel i'm like Good, i need to alternate arms to keep this balance because basically you know i'm just yeah. doing like shoulder exercises by shifting this gravel then i'm like okay well now i need to work my legs so i'm gonna be a bit lower and i'm gonna squat when i do this and then i started thinking <laughs> i reckon someone yeah is gonna like in the same way that you know those ice baths so you're kind of like you've done your legs you've dug a hole yeah. earlier in the week you've done your sort of your legs and then like you're like it's thursday it's gutters well, day you got to do something where you're stretching up, you're lifting things out of the gutter. Exactly. Like I think it's like it's like it's the Karate Kid, you know, paint the fence and, and learn something. Right. Fashion, uh, you know, fitness moves and trends. We found that out last week when I got electrocuted. But I think this could be the new trend, like especially up in the northern rivers where everyone's all about, you know, getting back to the basics and keeping things real. It's like 
man, you know, if you could get someone like Chris Hemsworth, you know, who loves his fitness and stuff, has his own fitness program, and you could design a program with his trainers, which is like, let's just do away with weights and cables and kettlebells and all that kind of shit. You're on a farm, here's a shovel, design me a workout. I reckon they could come up with something like that. So you can fix your house and well, get fit at the same time. Well, what I'm saying is it would add, it would, surely it would supercharge the productivity of the nation. Yes. If instead of going to the gym for an hour and lifting some weights that like you're not actually doing anything productive or useless except for your own body, you are at the end of that thing, you'll have dug that hole for that tree. You've planted a new tree. You've, Mm. you know, put solar panels on your roof. Like you've added something to the general economy, to your house, to the well-being of the planet. Like if we could just get everybody to stop wasting their useless energy in exercise programs and get that energy to be used in productivity for the rest of us, then clearly that is, I mean, I'm not I'm Chris Hemsworth, but I think the government should get behind us. I think this should be a government initiative to recharge, you know, the economy in Australia by getting everybody fit at the exact same time as we get the country fit. I think it's a great idea. The only issue is like pe- the reason people go to the, the gym is for aesthetics, you know, like mm. people with great bodies, it's not necessarily a functional body or an athletic body even necessarily. It's all about aesthetics and you know you're a, you grew up on a farm your dad's a farmer farmers aren't really necessarily known for having the best bodies farmers have that crazy thing where they're super strong and resilient you know <laughs> like they're the kind of guys who can get electrocuted or gored by a bull or whatever and just shake it off okay well this is a like, this is a little bit less for us yeah. then but it combines two things that Australians are very passionate about working out and home renovations yeah. how about we make it more a sort of build your body at the same time as you're sort of building your house we get into that sort of like you don't have time to go to the gym and those sort of things when you're doing your home renovations but we're going to show you a program that while you are doing those home renovations you can put it together and you because you know who like young builders tradies and stuff they've got good bodies they're mostly super fit and they're eating like you know iced coffees and sausage rolls for breakfast and stuff, but they're doing this physical work that means that they keep in good shape. Yeah, but I was wondering about that because I had that exact thought. I'm like, Jesus Christ, like if I did this every day, would I need to, would I even think about going to the gym? A, I'd be too tired, and but B, would it just be about the aesthetics? And then most of the builders that have come around to work on my place are all surfers. So first thing in the morning, yeah. they're getting a surf in or they're knocking off early and getting a surf in. So I do think you need to sort of, if we're going to sell this program, you've got to combine it with a bit of that, like maybe not necessarily surfing, but something outside of the home. I think the home is perfect because it's a great metaphor for how you're going to build your body. As your house progresses and improves, you know, you're taking care of your outside temple, but you're also taking care of your inside temple. What do we call it? Homo. <laughs> um, well, it's a good first draft, but I think... <laughs> Which is <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, homing farmer fit? No, because that's too country okay. again. We want to go into this like handy you know the man. block. You know, this is like yeah, handy man, handy man, handy woman. You got to uh, take some building, take some construction gym terminology like ripped, shredded, yep. jacked, pumped, and mix it with like some handyman terminology so what would it be like uh handy again falls into an area where people might think it was a different app uh handy shred handy jacked handy jacked is the worst (laughs) (laughs) do not no handy jacked that's what it's called handy jacked 
handy get jacked. handy jacked. I mean, it is what we're saying our program yeah. can give you. By the end of it, you'll be handy and you'll be jacked. There'll be a jacked. lot of disappointed people. So we're not going to give you a 30-day free trial because we know a lot of people will cancel the subscription after the first day. But if DDP can do DDP yoga, we can do handy jacked. So, all right. So that's the first step. We've got a name. Fantastic. So... Do we go out to who, – who's designing the program? Do we go the Hemsworth route and just get a bunch of personal trainers together or do we get trainers and handymen together and just lock them in a room and they hash it out? Well, it's a pity that Jamie Jury is actually a gardener, not a builder, because that would be a perfect sort of um, – He's quite handy, like he's more, I, I've got a little – Very handy. I, I can, what about um, Tom the Chippy? He's probably not as big a star as he used to be. But you need yeah, like Tom a, Williams. a Tom the Chippy style – character someone who's super fit and good looking but also very handy well i'll tell you what the 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 dude the builder who's been working on our place when he when i first met him i was like he's really good looking and charismatic and charming and i had the thought of like have i seen this guy on tv is he on the block or something because he just presented like that um he'd be great but he's not we need a name we need like you know, okay, this is what Australian TV does. We go to the States. We bring out someone who's maybe, you know, the star has lost a bit of its shine and they need a kind of restart. So do we bring out um, not Tim the Toolman Taylor, not Tim Allen, but his offside. Al. With the beard. Al from Home the Improvement. Is it, what was his name? <laughs> That's exactly what it's... We'd bring him out for the Logies one year. And then we, while he's out, we, we get him plastered. I love that this conversation started with, in typical TOEFOP style, in the way our businesses tend to work. No wonder you put us in that third subcategory. It started with, we need a bankable star. And with our first lock-in get, we've gone with Al from the TV show Home Improvement. No, not Tim Allen. Not the tour man. He's uh, offside at Al. All right. Well, what, who are the kids into? Like, who's a, who's a handyman that has cut through? Like, we want to appeal across generations. So, mm. it can't be too niche and it can't be too broad it's got to be that sweet spot like who's who's famous for being on the tools what about harrison ford he was a carpenter okay so we need somebody who's the new harrison ford oh i gotcha jason momoa every time you see like footage of jason momoa he's on his farm he's fucking chucking axes he's building barns and stuff and he's got that kind of you know, if we're talking about that sort of Northern Rivers sort of hippie thing, that's him. Like, you know, he's dreadlocked, he's buff, he's good looking, he's Aquaman. And, you know, he spent time in Australia. I reckon we could talk him into it. He'll be shooting Aquaman 2 at some stage. So, Jason, <laughs> it's down to you and the guy who played Al in Home Improvement. You both so, got beards. Uh, that was the... <laughs> stay, stay, stay by the fire. So, I reckon he comes back to do Aquaman 2. You and I jump in a car. We drive up to the Gold Coast. We go to Warner Brothers. We yeah. stop at Wet n Wild, have a bit of fun. And then we go to the studio. Mm. <laughs> and we knock on his trailer door and we pitch him handy jacked and we say look we've seen your instagram love what you're doing we understand that you love making furniture and chucking axes about and stuff but you're also mm. super buff dude super fit do you think there is a way we can combine those two things and he'll be like my man <laughs> he'll be like my man he's just been waiting for this opportunity so he's in we got jason momoa now what now where do we go um, well, we need someone to design the actual program so that we don't, you know, so that, you know, Aquaman 2 isn't cancelled because <laughs> Jason Momoa has done his back in some new exercise program that was designed by two completely unqualified podcasters. So we need like an actual, you know, body and movement person who can incorporate, you know, the skills of building a house and working at home into an exercise program. Yeah, well, I think we need 
both, right? We need people from both worlds. So we need, you know, a, a really like a Scott Cam type handyman and we need yeah. like, you know, uh, a, a, like a personal trainer. So I, they, do they still do The Biggest Loser? Who's the, who's the most famous trainer in Australia? Michelle Bridges, is she still? Michelle Bridges, the commando. Yeah, well, let's get the commando and we'll get Scott Cam. Scott Cam will do anything for money. <laughs> It seems like. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a sausage party. Can we not All right. get Michelle? Okay. Just so that we're, you know. Sure. Let's tick out, let's tick off our quotas. We'll get, we'll get Michelle Bridges. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> You're here as All a right, quota. how about this? No, Michelle Bridges. Uh, what about, actually, you know who'd be great, I think, at this? Um, uh, Tiffany Hall, Ed, Cal- Ed Cavalier's partner. And, and she's like. Well, I was thinking, why don't we, why don't we flip, we get a female oh, handy yeah, good, person. Good. There you go. Now we get a female yep. handy person. So we get someone who won the block. I don't watch the block. This is not uh, any ignorance towards their gender. It's just I, I have no idea who has ever won the block ever. But we get the late, the last winner of the block. We get her and we get well, – we why don't we get Tiffany Hall? Why don't we have two women? There's no rule to say you can't have two women, Will. I, I didn't say there was. I was the person who – Oh, but you were thinking it. <laughs> I can see. Your steam coming out of your ears. You're about to spit your tea out and go, What? Two women. Uh, I know. Well, there's two options. So Bianca Chatfield, who was on the block, she was a, a netball player who went on the block and she was on Velocity. Or uh, Elise Knowles, I think her name is, lives in the same area as we do and she was d- definitely on the block. So if we're talking about actual people who are achievable for us to contact, we could get to Tiffany Hall, that's fine, through Ed, and we could get to one yeah. of those two people who've been on the block. Okay, so those two, we get them together with Jason Momoa and they nut out the program. So are we launching it as an app or a TV show or both? Both. Clearly, both. I mean, you want to see – I mean, yeah, we want to film it at the very least. Maybe it's not like a TV show, TV show, but maybe it's a like, you know, on the app you can watch episodes of Jason doing things. well, I signed, I signed up for the Hemsworth one. I did the free trial to check it out. And they do have a lot of video content. So there's the workouts that you can do, which are just like a typical fitness app. But then there's like meditations and, um, you know, there are little – it's quite a production. They do like little videos and stuff like that. Did you Have you seen that latest ad for Center Fit, the one where it's like Chris Hemsworth's head – on other people's bodies. It was on. It was everywhere online for a while. Firstly, that's the wrong way around. I want my yes. head on Chris Hemsworth's body. <laughs> like, I mean, it, again, I'd like to see how Chris Hemsworth went with his head, which is a good head, but how would his head mm. go on my body? Like, how successful an actor, compared to how successful an actor Chris Hemsworth is now, if it's his same head but it's on my exact body – where where yeah. are we in the world of show business? Is he still? Hang on. So it's you're just a body. He, it's still Chris Hemsworth. His brain, his thoughts, his everything. Everything that's in the head is Chris Hemsworth, and everything in the, is in the body. Oh, is this me. is devil's bargain that poor Chris has entered into. Well, the other one who has Chris Hemsworth's body and my sort of ah. brain and stuff is like a super. That's a super prospect. Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Because it really comes down to is. Uh, you're, what you're saying is like, does Chris Hemsworth, if you take away his body, do you take away, you know, 90% of what makes him popular and successful? I mean, he's a good looking cat and he's charismatic and stuff, but his body is a huge part of it. His head on your body to me would just be like Chris Pratt in Parks and Rec. Like oh, yeah. Chris, 
Chris Patton <laughs> Parks and Rec yeah, was okay. still like you could see beneath that that he was still a hunky dude and you know Chris Hemsworth's still charming and you know has a good sense of humour and all that kind of stuff I don't know if he'd started his career with your body in his head if he'd be at the same point now but if suddenly it was just like an image makeover where you know Will Smith style he's come out and it's like hey I've got a normal body but my head I reckon people would embrace that now the bigger question is you step on stage and you're all right my question to you is so you get his body whatever face-off technology we're using to get to make this happen and you're doing your first gig let's let's make it a big one it's melbourne comedy festival next year you know no restrictions on audience packed house what are you wearing nothing (laughs) (laughs) you wouldn't would you my black boots (laughs) yeah Or would you, or, I mean, you still need to, to make jokes. I mean, mm. like, I guess there's no shortage of material you could make about the fact that your head's now on Chris Hemsworth's body, but there is going to be a portion of the audience that is going to feel detached. You know, part of your appeal is that, you know, you're an intellectual and you're an, a normal guy and, you know, but suddenly you've got this body of a Greek god. I think it will throw some people. So are you working... How much are you referencing this transformation? No, this is, I mean, mate, I got arrested once on a fucking plane and turned three years of touring out of it. Like, (laughs) if I fucking wake up one day, Freaky Friday, that's not Freaky Friday. Face off. Face off style. Yeah. um, And my head is on Chris Hemsworth's body. That's what the whole show is about. That's literally the entire show. I come out at the start, fully clothed in my normal gear. I do a bit of late material just to warm them up. And I say, well, it turns out my hips don't hurt anymore. And then people, like, I didn't have the operation. Uh, no, it's not some new medicinal cannabis scheme. No, I'm not on some new medication. Uh, it turns out that uh, my head is now on Chris Hemsworth's body. Do you want to have a look? <laughs> and then I take my clothes off and everyone enjoys that. And then I have like 45 minutes of material on what it's like to have Chris Hemsworth's body. And then I finish with something poignant at the end. <laughs> it would sell out every night. And remember, when I say turn the other cheek, I mean literally. Here's <laughs> <laughs> his ass. <laughs> Do you think you get tired of people wanting to come up and see the body? Because that's what would happen. Like, you know, I'm not talking on stage. Like, everyone who you bumped into would be like, oh, I heard about this. Can, can I see your abs? No, because this is, again, I'm like I have so little amazing things happen in my life that um, I'm going to take full advantage of monetizing the ones that do happen. So in the same way as I wasn't going to tell the Wagga Wagga story on this podcast, like if you want to see the story, I, I tour the show. You can come along and pay for a ticket to the show and you can see the story. If I have Chris Hemsworth's body and my head, you are only ever seeing that body like on stage. The rest of the time I'm wearing, like, I'm dressed like Billie Eilish used to dress. I've got, like, layers of baggy clothes. I'm not even letting you get a glimpse when I turn in a different direction. Like, I'm not wearing any, like, leisure wear or athletic wear or anything like that. You you get no free looks at the body. Your mates, though, like, there'd be a ton of your mates, like, especially in the first, like, six months. People haven't seen you since they found out. Are you showing all of them? I'll give them free tickets to the show. Oh, but I'm no. Not, you're not lifting yeah, up your but shirt. You'll have, to come, you'll have to come and see the material. All right, hang on. So wherever this procedure's taken place, like yeah. let's say it's a hospital, I come in to see you. I've bought you some like, you know, some gifts, some get well gifts and some balloons yeah. and stuff like that. You're lying in the bed. You've recovered. You're feeling pretty good. And I say, can I have a look? I mean, you can have a look. <laughs> a few people can have a look. But in a general sense. Can I touch your abs? 
We haven't quite worked out what the connection between people touching me and not is, like whether it would feel really different to be touched because you're not being touched like on a layer of fat, you're being touched. On. And I guess then the problem is it's like buying a new car. Now I'm super paranoid about it getting a scratch on it, right? Yeah. Like it, it would actually change my life because even though it's in good shape at the time, that's because Chris Hemsworth has been working out and keeping it in yeah. good shape. Like I think if we had to swap them back after a year, my body would be like he would have improved my body because he would be so frustrated with my body that he would like spend those ensuing months coming up with like tailored programs to work on the body, get on a better diet. I get it back much better and he get his body back like a fucking rental car. I wouldn't have vacuumed the sand <laughs> just out of the dings back. everywhere. <laughs> just just fucking if you can't find it, grind it. <laughs> would you flex? If I asked you to flex, would you flex for me? Um, oh, I can't imagine Chris Hemsworth is never not flexed. He just looks like he has a body that is constantly at flex. Well, you know, like we've got a mate, Disco, who, uh, as long as we've known him, has always had an incredible rig. And there was a period of time, because Disco's gay, and so there was the girls in our group of friends would always just ask him to take his shirt off, and he would always oblige, and there was never any weirdness about it because he was just like more than happy to show it off. Do you reckon that you would have like disco levels of like, yeah, sure, like give the fans what they want? You wouldn't. When I was young, yeah. If but this had now. happened in my 20s, then sure. But no, no, no. This would purely be, I would expect people to judge me like the freak that I had become. <laughs> it would be part puppetry of the penis, part Jim Rose Circus, part Will Anderson's show. I understand that there is an element of staring at what had happened that people would want to see. mm yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Because it does, it's, it's, especially as a comedian, so much of your identity is tied into like your flaws and foibles and, you know, sort of turning that lens inwards and mining it. Now you have this thing, which is just a clear advantage. You can get mileage out of it to say, you know, I'll say the first six months, but then I think people are going to start resenting <laughs> you and your perfect rig, especially if you maintain it. I know you're saying you'd probably ding it up, but I think even you, given your best efforts, it would take you a long time to bring that rig under. I agree, but I think it would get back to a less intimidating. Like, it'd get back to the point where everybody would be like, okay, you can put your shirt back on now. Hey, uh, well, let's get to the mailbag. It's going to be a slightly uh, shorter episode because we want to do a little bonus um, one. So if you want to interested in, in uh, hearing our bonus episode, they're all on patreon.com. Uh, in fact, if you want to go to Patreon, that's the best way to support the show, patreon.com slash Tofop. Uh, as stated, we do bonus episodes, letter episodes. There's also a heap of uh, great content up there. I've also unlocked a bunch of videos on our YouTube channel, so you can check out our Reacts video where I react to Elias's water slide. That's at tofoptv.com. And you can also go to tofop.com to check out some of our other great podcasts. Will, I believe, Pete Hellier is your guest on Philosophy this week. Uh, Peter, Hellier, and then a new one has just gone up with uh, Anna Piper Scott. And then on Friday this week, uh, it, it's a, a brand new episode. Normally we do the catch up episodes on a Friday, but it's a brand new episode, brand new guest. But it's a, it's a slightly shorter episode than usual because it's all the time that I could get with this particular person. But I think people are going to really enjoy hearing the episode with Andrew McCarthy, who people will know from the 80s, from the Brat Pack. <laughs> and we have a very if you like this podcast and how much we've talked reference weekend at bernie's over the years andrew mccarthy and i have such a great like fun conversation about weekend at bernie's i was going to ask you about that because i knew you were going to chatting to him and so do you talk about that do you talk about um pretty in pink we didn't so 
I had in preparation for it because I knew that he was in the middle of a press tour and he was talking about, you know, Brat. So he's talking about that specific period of time and there's certain questions that all the journalists ask at those times. And so I watched a lot of interviews that he was doing with other people and mm. they were all asking pretty much the same questions, you know, going to stories that were in the book. And I just did not want to get that version of him. Yeah. So I intentionally kept kind of taking it to areas where he wasn't being asked about. So Weekend at Bernie's felt like a perfect one because people would joke about it, yeah. but they'd never engage with it. But he loves Weekend at Bernie's and he loved doing them. And he was really excited that I wanted to talk about it. And like when we got to the point where I asked him, you know, what do you think happens when we die? Which is one of the regular <laughs> philosophy questions. It, there was just this look on his face of like, oh, oh, this is not like a normal interview. I understand now. Like, and he really gets into it. He answers all the questions really well. I, um, uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely really super fun to have a chat to him. So that is one to look out for. And I believe there's another episode of Hamo Fop up this week. Yeah, so we're recording that hopefully in a couple of hours. Hamo's extremely busy at the moment, but I think we've got an hour in a couple of hours from now. So hopefully that'll be up in the next couple of days as well. And of course, two guys, one cup. Uh, we haven't recorded this week's episode yet, and I am not looking forward to it. For those uh, who are unaware, um, uh, Will's team played my team and beat us by 110 points. It's, I think, probably one of the, the greatest winning margin that the Bulldogs ever had against the Saints. It was deplorable, and I'm super depressed. Really, really not looking forward to talking about football. Don't actually want to do the show anymore, uh, but realise I've entered into this fucking devil's bargain and we'll have to talk about football for at least, you know, the next 12 weeks. Doesn't make me feel good either. Like, I mean, not as bad as it makes you feel, clearly, but it's hard for me to enjoy it when clearly you're not enjoying it. And when it's my team that has meant that... Because a few people messaged me and were like, oh, you must be excited about this week's episode. And I'm like, no, I'm not actually, because I've been there. I know what it's like to be Charlie. It's not a good place when your team is doing what Charlie's team is doing. And the fact that my team is not doing that and is doing that to your team that beat us in a final less than six months ago... It's crazy. Is, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll talk... We'll, we we'll can talk almost, more. You know what? We don't even have to talk about it. We can just talk about other stuff. Like we nah. really talk about football on that podcast anyway. Let's just skip talking about that game. Well, I think part of my inability to find something to watch on Saturday night was due in part to the sheer depression that I was in after checking the score. Like I think I was looking for something to distract me from the pain. But it was, as much as I tried to ignore it, it was eating away at me. So if that sounds like a fun, fun podcast you want to listen to, Two Guys, One Cup, you can find it all at tofop.com. But tofop.com, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip. tofop.com, <clears throat> where you can get handy jacked. Uh, this letter, Will, is from Ben. Is this now a thing, is the subject. First, we had Malcolm Knox ripping apart Point Break in the Sydney Morning Herald some 30 years after its release. And now The Guardian has published Scott Tobias's rebuke of the 20-year-old Shrek. Uh, has the last year in the shutdown of many movie productions and the move towards straight to streaming meant that film critics have nothing left to do than take pot shots at beloved movies? And he's put a link to the article. I haven't read it. To be honest, I'm not a massive Shrek fan. I, I, I wasn't incensed by, about the idea of someone like taking Shrek apart as they were with Point Break. Uh, but it is I a thought thing. the bit where he said that Shrek should have died instead of uh, River Phoenix was a bit too much. That was the only bit that I was like, this is, this is harsh on Shrek. 
We did get a, a, a tweet from someone who was like, look, someone else is rushing to the defensive point break. And it was like a big celebrity. I can't remember who it was. But what they actually were referencing was the noir film Point Blank. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to let that person know that they actually weren't defending Point Break. They were defending Point Blank. Point Blank. Um, yeah, these articles, uh, they are more commonplace because they've got to, they've got to get people – obviously the reaction – from the Point Break one was so great that like, yeah, why wouldn't you get someone to just trawl through anything that people hold dear in the last, you know, 20 to 30 years and just say it's shit? Yeah, it's an absolutely like great way to, you know, bring eyeballs to your, you know, news website and to, um, you know, generate argument and traffic and like, you know, get people agitated and arguing about something and distracted from the important things in the world that newspapers used to cover. So I think it's, yeah, it's it's a great direction for newspapers to be going in, I think. I mean, I don't want to keep going on about Malcolm's article, but um, that journalist who was leaping to his defence saying, you know, look, it's uh, it's not clickbait, it's a per- perfectly, you know, legitimate, people write opinion articles all the time. But it's the it's the... it's the lack of newsworthiness of it, the fact that the film is so old. It's so old that it's been remade. Like, you can't tell me that that is an opinion that needs to be heard. Like, everyone has an opinion on an old movie. It's not something that needs to be heard. It's not newsworthy. You know who we should get for this? Not our film critic who might actually be able to look at the movie and its merits. We'll get the cricket guy. <laughs> and next week, Margaret Pomerantz gives us our Ashes review. <laughs> like, it makes no fucking sense. But the uh, the thing that, again, and I don't want to get back over yeah. it either, and, like, I've actually liked a lot of stuff that Malcolm's written in the past, um, but there was... After our conversation we had about it, mm. I think that there is a sex and underlying sexism in it as well because he does not give Catherine Bigelow the Jews you would give a male director for the same choices. Like I think it's very clear when we were talking about that film, and I told you since that I've, I've watched it again, and there are so many conscious choices being made in that film. The idea that that is a, a series of Mindless weird accidents yeah. is completely incorrect. There is a consistent tone. Some of it is consistent in its inconsistency, but it has been envisaged. It is definitely making a statement. And the fact that it was made by a female director, I would argue that he's, he's you know, even if it's not in, intentionally sexist, I feel like he's not giving her the credit he would give a similar male director in a similar situation. If, if that movie had been made by a male director who went on to win an Oscar for a more serious film... I think we would look back at that film and go, look at all these amazing choices this director was making at this time. I did uh, Hamo's podcast, Big Squid, a couple of weeks back talking about Near Dark, which is the film that Catherine Bigelow made before Point Break. And uh, there's a great making of documentary online. And you see her interviewed and she is like an intellectual. She's someone who understands film and film literacy. And she's very, very thoughtful about everything that she puts in front of the frame. Like watch any interview with her and you'll see this isn't, she's not like a Michael Bay, you know, let's just blow things up and pretty colors and stuff. Like she's someone who's actually trying to say something with film. But again, let's not go on about it. We've got to our next letter. (laughs) This is from David. (laughs) Uh, Big Beyond Belief is the subject. Hi, Will and Charlie. Listening to your latest pod about the 20 minutes and four hours training regime, I remember buying this bodybuilding book about 25 years ago called Big Beyond Belief that Tom Platts was promoting. And it was this really bizarre training program that I used to get a lot of questions by other gym members when I was doing it. Unfortunately, I don't remember getting Big Beyond Belief from this training. On a side note, Charlie, I have bloody lawn bugs. <laughs> David, what? 
we were right turner at the end. Well, David, I've got a great news for you. Um, maybe you didn't get big beyond belief, but have you ever heard of Handy Jacked? And with Handy Jacked, you can get rid of your, uh, what are they called? Lawn bugs. Lawn bugs, your, your grass grubs. At the grubs. same time as working out your upper and lower body. That'll be part of the program. We'll be able to see. Maybe that is an aspect of what we need. Gardening. We need specific programs for people who have specific problems. Oh, yes. So you're looking for a workout, but it, you also have some grass bugs. Yeah. And you're just like, right, I need something that I can like, what is the best way for me to get rid of these grass bugs that is also going to like, you know, yeah. work work me in a cardio sense. And I think, and we have like different parts of the house. So there's like a plumbing workout. There's like an exterior painting workout. There's a landscape gardening workout. Like it's everything that you yeah. need to do around your, and, and, and you know, you can be apartment workouts, home workouts, property workouts, where you've got some land, like a farm or something like that. Mate, this is going to make us a fortune. <laughs> this, this is from Lacey. Uh, the subject is, yeah, I'm a macho bitch, two colon fop. I'm not sure if you're still searching for your most macho listener. I'm not quite caught up yet. I'm throwing in my hat either way. So suck it up, buttercup. Ooh, I like it. Very macho opening. <laughs> Remarkably, this competition did close many months ago. End of last year, I But believe. we did call it the TOEFOP 12 and there was only 11 of them. So technically, there is still a position open to be filled. It's a floating chair. Uh, so just a heads up, trigger warning. There's a mention of sexual assault, but don't worry. There's a happy ending. I'm a young 25-year-old single mother. I live in Orange County, California. At 15, I trained in MMA fighting with a semi-pro female MMA fighter. I was able to fight like hell and break the nose of a guy that decided to assault me. Aside from the broken nose and the bruised ego, I sent him to prison. Also, at 17 years old, I popped out a tiny human three months early and I almost died. I was a rebel and made poor choices that led to the most amazing thing in my life. Then I got to in some serious drugs, quit them cold turkey, and have been sober for six years, and I'm surviving, advocating for rape victims, being a badass mom, and caring for the elderly as a caregiver. Love you guys. Thanks for making me laugh. Yep, you're on. Supplementary list. Floating chair. Lacey, congratulations. I mean, if people want to send in their submissions, like, you know, the Avengers weren't fixed. Like, they they, they kept, like, rotating that roster. If you've got some more macho stories that you feel like you want to share, I don't mind, a bit of a humble brag, let us know. Send them in to uh, email TOEFOP at uh, – TOEFOP, uh, what is it, email? No, just go to TOEFOP.com. There's a there's <laughs> there's an email form at the bottom. I forget sometimes. Uh, our last bit of mail, Will, is from Sharon, who – the subject is Meanderings on a Two Guys, One Cup TOEFOP and Willosophy podcast. Hi, Will and Charlie. During the 2020 AFL season, I was looking for a good AFL podcast, you know, something with Jared Waitley. But instead, yeah. <laughs> I stumbled across two guys, one cup. As it turns out, I was looking for two guys talking shit about anything while I smoke nature's finest herb and do the household chores. So much so now that I listen to Tofop and Philosophy as well. After listening to several Tofop episodes about Charlie not wanting to look stupid in front of tradies, Perhaps you could have a tradie segment with stories where they look stupid. Not sure if tradies are your target market, but a couple of good stories could turn up. What do you reckon? I don't want I'm, tradies I'm, to look stupid. No, but if tradies are willing to dob themselves in, I would be happy to hear from any tradies. If you've got tips or embarrassing stories. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're a specific type of tradie and there is one particular part of your job that you think would make an exercise... An, ex an excellent exercise, exercise program yeah. 
then you could probably send that through to us as well. And I'd also like to know from tradies, like, what's your view of someone like me? Like, you come to a house to do some work <laughs> and someone's wife offers up their husband as tribute. Like, is this a pain in the ass? Are you going to be babysitting this guy or is it helpful? What can I do to make your lives a little better? Stay out of your way. Do you want me to just carry things around? Or are you making fun of me behind my back? You're making fun of me, aren't you? Uh, I would also love a philosophy episode with Zan Rowe. Apologies if one exists. I haven't fully checked out the archive. I would love to do one with Zanro and I hope to do one in the future. Yes, that could definitely happen. Lastly, as someone living in Brisbane who previously lived in Victoria, I have to say it was amazing have the 2020 AFL season in Queensland. Sorry, Melbourne. What you suffered, I wouldn't wish on anyone. Hope you're all recovering. <laughs> I love how he speaks of Melbourne as a singular person. But I made the most of it and I want... It went heaps of games, including the finals and the grand final. While it was no was not while it was no full house at the MCG, attending the grand final at the Gabba was a privilege. While we could never look after the game as well as Melbourne, we did our best, and it seems to have paid off for the AFL Lions membership. Both the men and women's teams are currently record breaking. Thanks for all your great work, Sharon. You're welcome, Sharon. Um, that's Tofop for this week. Uh, nothing to plug, or do you have something to plug? You got shows, don't you? Do you- do you think Sharon um, you know, has always been an AFL fan because Sharon shares a name with the football? Like, you know, yeah. they play with the Sharon and has constantly been wanting to like lead with that. When people say, how do you pronounce your name? You're like, I oh, like the footy, except she lives in a non-AFL state. And oh, finally, yeah. we're at the point where it's like, I can finally, you know, this has been the greatest. Sorry about what you went through, Melbourne, but it was totally <laughs> worth it for Sharon. <laughs> uh, you got shows to plug? Yeah, I'm going to Wagga Wagga. My show about being arrested on the way to Wagga Wagga. I did my first round of local press about it. There's going to be a whole bunch of people who are incidentally featured in the story. You know, I, I kind of hadn't really fully thought that through. I knew the cops were coming and those sort of things. But, of course, on that day when I got arrested in Wagga Wagga, there was a whole bunch of people who were connected with that story in real life in tangential ways. And so many of them are going to come and see the show. So I think they're going to be... It's going to be a really amazing experience. It's going to be really weird to take the show back there. But uh, uh, yeah, two shows in Wagga Wagga. The Saturday night is almost sold out. And then the Sunday, there are a bunch of tickets available. Go see Will's show in Wagga Wagga. See it, see it. (laughs) You might come out looking like Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. (laughs) 